This is Roman here, broadcasting live from Mutant Radio, and thanks so much for tuning in. Making sure we're all here. Okay, that's much better. Uh, yeah, thanks so much for tuning in. And last Friday was a bit of a rough day, and glad to be back here again. And we'll be sharing more information for you all today. <sighs> Taking a deep breath. We are broadcasting live from Mutiny Radio, and Mutiny Radio is on the unceded homeland of the Ramaytush Ohlone people. And for more information, please go to weeklyrev.org. And on the Land Acknowledgement tab, we have a lot of resources, places to donate, uh, more like history, uh, mutual aid, maps of the lands you're living on, indigenous lands that you're living on, and what we know as the United States, as well as a thread of Native news outlets. So please, again, go to weeklyrev.org and click on the Land Acknowledgement tab. Starting off with some music, uh, remembering Rose Wong, who I only met once. Um, Rose was an activist and an artist and much more, and um, sending lots of love out to Rose's friends and family and memories of her. And this is, uh, well, post a link to this album, Highline Songs, uh, by Calliope Wong on Bandcamp. And we'll post a link to that and just um, it's difficult to, to find the words quite often. It's really beautiful music. So have some news stories and action items and uh, as per usual the world is frightening and quite disturbing and uh, there are ways that folks can show up and I it's a constant reminder that I'd like to share here so last week had a lot of technical difficulties I was quite embarrassed and I I cared a lot about this interview and really wanted the words to get out there and had to restart it a couple of times and then it was cut off at the end it was just oh it was one of those days so I wanted to replay it in full today and also provide some more information on our website as well uh, about CART, which is the organization that Adriana and I uh, speak about. So here is uh, an interview I did a couple weeks ago with uh, Adriana Camarena, and we talk about CART as well as a few other things. And really important organization of folks, many folks who have come together to provide alternatives to calling the police, which is so needed and necessary. So this talk is maybe about 32 minutes, and then we have a little extra snippet afterwards. 
And after that, I will check back in, play some more music, and then we've got some more news items to share with you all. And also on our website, weeklyrev.org, I'll keep on plugging it. Uh, we have like a lot of links there. So some of the items that we mentioned in this interview, as well as uh, CART, we have a link to their page so you can find a way to get involved. Great. So uh, here we go. Thanks for joining us. If you'd please uh, like to introduce yourself to our listeners. Sure. Um, and thanks for having me on. Uh, my name is Adriana Camarena. Uh, I am with, I work with the family of Luis Gongora Pat um, with our organization, Justice and Honor for Luis Gongora Pat. Uh, Luis was homeless at the time that he was murdered by two San Francisco police officers on April 7th, 2016. And um, a, a few months back, uh, I think it was almost a year back we started conversations about this, but uh, we joined up with a broad coalition of organizations who responded to a call from the police. It actually came from from the police commission to establish an alternative response to homelessness. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is how I joined up with this group that has now recently put out a report uh, community plan for a compassionate alternative response team to end policing of homeless populations. Yes, yeah, I was looking at the website, which folks can find at cartsf.org, and there's a there's a there's a lot there's a lot there, and it's also definitely long overdue, and really grateful for all the folks who have put it together. So I thought we could just maybe start talking about the the summary. I, it looked like that folks were going around actually talking with folks who are unhoused about what's needed for them, um, which of course is the best way to go about things. So I thought maybe we could start there and talk about how the the plan came into being. Sure, and um, yeah, and, and just as a broad overview, so we see where the community survey comes in. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, uh, we did a community survey with unhoused um, neighbors to understand what they would like to see in a compassionate alternative response and the team that they would like to see happening. And we also did a lot of background research into what other programs exist Mm. and did our own research also with the city uh, separate to that um, with the Department of Emergency Management in particular to understand how calls come in, how they could be diverted to a new response. So that's kind of like the broad strokes of of the project. But the survey specifically, um, it is really interesting because we learned um, that one of the primary, of course, our unhoused populations have suffered a lot of police abuse, especially uh, related even to the contact that happens between the DPW uh, responding to encampments accompanied by police. And, um, and they would obviously benefit and want an alternative response to policing. Um, so one of the first things that they would love to see is, you know, more resources so that they yes. can get out of a condition of home, homelessness. Right, right. Right? Um, but the other thing that very strongly came up is that they would also uh, informed us about who they would want to have on the team responding. And they do w- would ask that people who have actually experienced conditions of homelessness be mm-hmm. part of these teams. Yes. Mm-hmm. So those are some of the things that, that we learned from the survey. Um, and they also helped shape the some of our core values around um, making sure that there was, a, there was a compassionate 
uh, response that we um, made sure to en engage towards providing resources in those contacts. Um, and that it should be, you know, a free of charge, confidential, voluntary, <laughs> non-threatening, non-punitive and life-affirming process for people uh, who are engaged. Um, and part of the question around having people who, and I'll go a little bit into the, um, the specific services that we would like to see, but mm -hmm. they were also very interested in making sure that part of the process is around educating people who are actually calling the police. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. So that's around the community survey, right? Mm -hmm. um, uh, and making sure that they get the assistance that they need rather than enter another process of criminalization. Right, right. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's certainly frustrating. I like run out of the, the words to use, but just how frustrating it is to see people uh, want to further criminalize folks who are unhoused. It's just so, it's disgusting is what it is. It is, and, you know, it kind of, um, it's a little bit of a segue into the research we did on dispatch mm -hmm. um, because we we knew that what we needed to do is um, engage uh, from the point of, of public answering of 911 calls we needed to catch calls that would be a good for the programming for a new alternative response mm -hmm. and I don't know how much um, listeners may know about dispatch but we learned a lot yes <laughs> And um, and general calls are are separated out into what they call A, B, and C priorities. And mm -hmm. what it really means is like it's a, a grade of how urgent the response needs to be. Uh, the target time for an A priority response time has to be seven minutes. You know, for mm -hmm. a B priority has to be twenty minutes, and for a C priority is an hour. No, so there's more flexibility. So based on also other programs that exist, we knew that um, we were actually looking initially at the C priority calls. And then we started looking at the data with the Department of Emergency Management and 45% of the calls, C priority calls, come in on a range of issues that um, what they call 917 calls, which are a suspicious person, a 916 <sighs> suspicious vehicle, 601s, mm -hmm. which are trespassing, and you also have others, uh, the 919s, which are the SIP law ordinance. These are your, uh, uh, the, your, the bulk of your C priority calls, right? The 45% of these calls. Uh, and so when they did a sampling of like the 601s and 917 calls, they realized that they, they are actually the, like 50% to the two thirds of those calls are homelessness related. So when you talk about a 601 call trespassing, what it may actually mean, a C-priority call, is someone sleeping in a doorway. Mm. Or, or when you uh, have a, a call about a 917 suspicious person, it might just be a homeless person on the street. Yes. And so though that became really interesting to us because right now um, the city, I should say, has initiated a program also called the Street Crisis um, uh, response team or intervention team. Uh, it's called uh, Street. Okay. And, and what it does is it operates out of the um, it operates out of the um, fire department, but mm -hmm. it only responds to 800 calls, which are the mental health 
the calls. Mm. So what we're suggesting that this new program do is that we should have our own hotline also, but also get 911 calls diverted both from the overflow from yes. the street calls, but also this other number of calls that I've been mentioning, which we could really provide an alternative response rather than the police showing up in situations where they can't actually do anything. Right. Anything, and anything often, good. <laughs> and oftentimes make it worse. And oftentimes escalate, wrongly escalate. Yes. Um, yes. it, it damage people's lives because they criminalize them further. They don't give them the support they need. They traumatize them. And as you know, and I've even heard officers say that they shouldn't be the ones responding to, to homelessness related incidents. So there, I, I, I believe that there's a lot of space around these calls to create an alternative response. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, um, I don't know. You you tell me, Roman, uh, how you want to do this, but I can oh. go on and on, you know? <laughs> oh, I'm happy, I'm happy to listen. There's so much to learn. So wherever you feel like you'd like to go next, we could talk about how you became involved with CART um, as a start. Sure. Well, as, a, as I was introducing myself at the beginning, I have worked with the family of Luis Gongora Pat since he was killed in 2016. And Luis um, was a Mayan indigenous um, worker who had fallen in, into a condition of homelessness after he was evicted from his house and the circumstances are un, kind of un, unknown about mm -hmm. how that happened. Um, but from all that we know is that Luis was just sitting on the ground when um, police got involved because they said they somebody saw a knife on him. And it actually, it's a more complicated story, but to just to give the context of how I got um, involved, but they arrived and he was just sitting on the ground and within 28 seconds, they fired beanbag weapons and, and firearm bullets and they killed him. Mm -hmm. So I got involved because we've been um, seeking with his family, with his brother Jose, his cousin Luis, um, for a very long time to create change. Mm -hmm. And so it was a natural fit for us to want to participate in the development of alternatives to policing around homelessness. And we joined up with the... Uh, Coalition on Homelessness, but there are also a broad variety of, of partners, and you can find them all on our page. Yes, yes. Uh, Glide and um, the Community Housing Partnership, there's this uh, Lawyers uh, Com Committee for Civil Rights, uh, Code Tenderloin, and many other organizations um, uh, that have participated in the development of this community plan. Mm -hmm. um, and right now, I should probably pitch that if anybody's interested, they should. Uh, look at the our, at the cartsf.org website and find the email that you can write and say, I want to be part of the launching of this campaign um, to have uh, to to have an alternative response to policing. But that's how I got involved. And then it was it was the process was very, very engaging and engaged multiple people, multiple organizations. It was yes. it was an amazing process where you're like you collaborated and get things done. It was amazing. But um, I ended up on the dispatch uh, subcommittee, but there were mm -hmm. subcommittees for precisely the research uh, part that I can tell you a little bit more about researching other programs that sure. were the people who did the community survey. And there's a communications team that set up the website and did and is actually leading uh, leading us in the in our campaigning right now to get city support to make CART happen. Mm -hmm. um, 
So just a few more details around the research piece uh, that's really interesting is that we learned that from looking at other programs that there are two kind of elements and it matches up with what our unhoused population was saying in their survey, mm -hmm. which is that the service that CART should provide similar to, and the primary model, if people haven't heard about it, is CAHOOTS, which has been operating in Portland for like thir for 30 years. Oh. Um, and there are some other new efforts in Denver and, and here and there that um, also informed our project. Uh, but they do two things. And one is to provide a response to persons in crisis mm -hmm. uh, and also provide community strengthening services. So the persons in crisis response is that the team that goes out there actually has first aid and non-emergency medical service training. They, they provide uh, substance addiction referrals and re resources. Uh, they uh, transportation uh, to hospitals and service providers if needed. They are skilled in de-escalation intervention and interpersonal conflict resolution and can provide street counseling and mental health uh, referrals. They also are trained in suicide prevention. Um, so, but being knowledgeable about the resources at hand and being able to refer people to those resources is a big part of, of the piece. And then the other part is um, community strengthening, which actually means having, uh, having a role in educating people who are calling the police mm -hmm. uh, on unhoused populations. And the idea is to create neighborhoods of compassionate responders. And, and the most important thing, as many people have already pointed out, having allowing them to have an option. Because if you don't have yes. an option, it all ends up going back to 911 and never, right. never leaves, no? Yeah. Um, and so as part of this, uh, you know, the, it's working with community, working with the uh, unhoused populations, and also working with the city authorities who are getting this call so that eventually we also identify uh, these group of calls of which we also plan to expand over time with mm -hmm. careful thought and, and analysis um, in terms of what we are learning continuously. Um, but it is an idea of like, stop seeing them as policing calls, which, you know, police come from a, a mindset of criminalization and mm -hmm. actually start seeing them um, as medical responses or health right. responses to a street situation. Already the 800 number is mm -hmm. being assi assigned, uh, sorry, 800 dispatch code is being assigned an alternative medical dispatch code called the 25 alpha zero. So that right now, um, these calls that are being answered by uh, skirt, I, I think they call themselves skirt and not skirt, <laughs> skirt um, that the city response team is actually getting both codes. And eventually the idea is that you only use a medical code. So we'll be, we're suggesting that we will be working with the Department of Emergency Management so that these C priority calls right now that are you know, 601 trespasser, 917, uh, uh, a suspicious person are more adequate, adequately coded um, mm -hmm. to reflect the situation of a person under a severe situation of human rights violation already <laughs> who needs support. Yeah. <laughs> no? Um, so that's a little bit more of what I can tell you about the research bit. And I guess... Um, uh, a question that also comes up often is like, what what does it cost? What will this cost? And so right now, based on other programs, um, we are considering that this will be a six point eight million dollar project. 
Um, and the city for this uh, project already has on reserve um, a two million dollar budget because it was discussed from the from the sorry and I said I think I said the police commission had issued a resolution. It's the board of supervisors who had issued uh, a resolution calling for mm -hmm. an alternate response. And so they are holding this fund. And so now what we would like to see happen, especially as we phase out police response and phase in part, is that we would want that that alternative response be funded from police uh, yes. uh, uh, budgets. No, like take that budget from the police and give it to this new program. Definitely. <laughs> and there is plenty of it. There's plenty of it. And this is just really literally a drop in the bucket. But of yes. course, we're not stopping there. What we are standing by is that we need less policing in general, and that mm -hmm. police budget should be cut significantly. Yes. Part of it to to serve CART, but also to serve other other valuable city programs. Right, right. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, so, um, yeah, go ahead. Oh no, please go ahead. Um. I, I I guess in my I started thinking in my mind about um, I started thinking about um, uh, anyway sorry <laughs> when I got distracted <laughs> there's a, a hundred things I could tell you but let me know what what is interesting to you I mean all of it is interesting which I know doesn't really narrow it down too much <laughs> um, I guess we could we could talk about like the next steps then sure so we have done up a press conference and actually if people want a little bit more detailed information about these uh, all these areas of the community plan that I've talked about you can mm -hmm. find a link to our our press conference on the CARC website um, but we are asking that if people are interested uh, in joining the CART effort that they write they contact us at CART C-A-R-T mm -hmm. at at the Coalition of Homeless SF, that's a cart at cohsf.org, um, and mention that you would like to join the, the campaign. Mm -hmm. um, and also for, uh, for other media, if they're interested, we'd be very happy to answer questions because right now we're, we're gonna, we need to, last year, as you all remember, there was a big call to defund SFPD. But part yes. of the problem was that there wasn't um, a project that was tangible, tangible enough for people mm. to say this. When you defund the SFPD and these areas of work that you would like to see um, attended by another group of people, skilled people, we it, it happened so fast that there wasn't this alternative. So now we have an alternative, and mm -hmm. we need to work within the budget cycles. So we are asking people to join this effort now. Yes. And then as individuals, um, please uh, talk to your supervisors and tell them how much you support this project. I know there's a police commission meeting tonight, like just hit them up and let them know that uh, there's a support to defund the SFPD and, and support projects uh, just like CART. <laughs> yes, yeah. So I have another question. What would be, what do you think are the biggest obstacles or things that folks can really focus their energy on to help get CART moving? You know, I would say that it is precisely the, the, the budget cycle. Nothing happens without this budget being assigned to CART. 
Mm -hmm. um, but once that happens, I think there will even be a call out to to staff it appropriately and 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 track it appropriately. We will we are suggesting in our report that we will also be um, creating a, a working group, ongoing working group with the Department of Emergency Management and the existing uh, skirt project. Uh, and we will be tracking this information and making it public. So um, I think the more we can inform people, yes. uh, but at this very moment, the more you can engage in the with your supervisors and and um, the police commission around the need to uh, divert funding away from the police to alternative responses to policing, such as CARP, that's mm -hmm. the main issue right now. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Making a note of that. <laughs> Making a note. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Because I think it's, I mean, it's also just so helpful because I do believe that there are a lot of folks who would like to help but are just maybe unsure of how to do so. So having concrete examples of ways to go about doing that is, is very helpful. Right. And again, if you belong to an organization that would like to support this uh, project, we are we are gathering up right now um, mm -hmm. to make this a very successful um, first effort. And there are other efforts that are going to come along. Um, the the mayor has a working table that's also looking at other alternatives. So this is our community plan. This is what we would like to see happening, but it is aligned and it's with other projects um, oriented to uh, developing many and several alternatives to policing that support our black and brown and indigenous communities. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, are there other pieces of this you'd like to share or other um, topics? No, that's my main thing. I guess I could um, mention that there are other, uh, this is what I was going to say, there are other suggestions that we have in our report. Um, okay, yeah. Towards, uh, you know, we are asking the police police commission, um, you know, fire officers when they breach time and distance policies that escalate situations. And mm -hmm. we have other, um, uh, we would like to see the current response that the city has through the HSOC Center to homelessness, we would we are suggesting that they eliminate um, HSOC because it all all it has created is a, is a police response alongside DPW to to encampments that has aggravated situations while diminishing the work of the outreach teams that do have for homelessness that could actually be very beneficial if they just dedicated to them, themselves to what. They originally were supposed to do, which was to provide resources and refer referrals. No, so we are um, making suggestions along the way about how how the city can improve its own program, you know, its own uh, programming. Mm -hmm. May I ask a clarifying question? I heard uh, HSOC. Is that um, what is that exactly? So, and that goes back to a little bit to to. Dispatch, no? Okay. But so the city um, created a, a home, I think it's called the Homeless Center Operating Center. Um, okay. And uh, sorry, Homeless Services Operating Center. And what it ha happened is that before its creation, and 
you know, I don't know exactly the backstory, but it it is related to the creation to the to the passing of the Sit Light Ordinance, mm -hmm. um, which made it a uh, you know an, an infraction to sit or lie on the street, mm -hmm. and so um, the the there became became a there started to be a flood of calls towards nine hundred one around these nine. 19 codes, which are the Sitlai ordinance, but also just a tag that was just 915 homeless people. You know, that kind of thing, homeless people. <laughs> so with the HSOC Center, what happened is that they create they, they started diverting those calls towards um, the HSOC Center directly through the 311 Center. Mm -hmm. And then HSOC was supposed to provide the appropriate resources to respond to homelessness in the city. But what it has become is mostly uh, a reaction to send out uh, clearing crews from DPW and often, a no, almost always accompanied by police. And so that has actually aggravated the conditions for people who are living on the street rather than create any improvement. And mm -hmm. it's just a shuffling of people from one street over to the next without providing real solutions. So uh, that's why we're also suggesting that uh, the HSOC be eliminated. Um, yeah, and this is all related to how the 311 has been used. Um, that we're also suggesting that from now on, all these 915, 919 calls just come to cart. Like, mm -hmm. just don't, we'll deal with it. Yes. <laughs> and if DPW yes. has to be called, call DPW, but do not with the presence of police, never with the presence of right. police. Right. No? Yes. Yes. So it is. It'll take a. It'll take a village. It'll take the village of San yes. Francisco to to a, to work on this. And this is why one of the most important aspects of the project is to have um, built community strengthening mm -hmm. computer resilience around this, so that we understand what are more appropriate responses to homelessness. And it is certainly not criminalization of somebody who's suffering from severe human rights violations for lack yes. of housing and other ba basic necessities. No. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. oh. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so yeah. What? Uh, let me know if something else uh, caught your attention uh, around uh, around what I've mentioned. Um, but yeah, just uh, sometimes it's important to clarify. We are talking right now about only a response to to situations in streets. Mm -hmm. um, although there are some circumstances we could see responding to in in, in shelters, um, mm -hmm. and although we're only talking about C priority um, calls for the initial rollout, we are suggesting that we should sit down and look carefully at the content of some of these pre priority calls, which which may turn out to be situations where bringing in a skilled de escalator. Um, yes. That is that is not from the police department um, could benefit the community. Mm -hmm. so, uh -huh. so that's something that I think we have gotten questions on before. Yeah. You you mentioned a few other organizations, like there's one in Portland you mentioned, uh, Cahoots, and I was curious about other, either other organizations that you're aware of, um, in addition to the ones you mentioned, and or if there have been anything similar that had been done in the Bay Area in the past that um we could either learn from or connect with 
you know the definitely the more uh, the most important um example is Kahoot, mm -hmm. and we did have long conversations with them to understand what they had would have even what they would have changed starting out and one of these things precisely was to create our own separate hotline that they have but that they mm -hmm. really think that is important so that people truly have an alternative to calling 911 yes. and also that they also in the intake process have a better idea of what the situation is and and if it's a good situation to which they can respond but yeah cahoots with 30 years experience but the the truth is that uh, denver has uh, are rolling out uh, some programs mm -hmm. um uh, but it's all, everything's at a very initial stage. So mm -hmm. I would say that this would be a front running, uh, effort, yes. um, not in terms of, of course, there has been efforts, uh, born from the community on ongoing efforts mm -hmm. to, um, not call the police Yes, <laughs> uh, right. and, and other community responses, um, shout out to our friends, uh, our poverty scholars at Poor mm -hmm. Magazine, <laughs> you know, yeah, um, a lot from them. Exactly, and so, but I would say that that in terms of actually engaging and deviating calls away from at the point of dispatch to mm -hmm. an alternative, th these are very new programs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> yeah, there's it's a it's a lot there, and um, it's very it's feels good to have something to to hope for and to to work towards because i think it's easy to point out what's wrong and what isn't working and then it's so much more difficult to then take the action to create the type of world that we want to live in so it is it's inspiring to know that this is this is all happening yeah and i think our our hope is that well this or this effort focused around um alternative responses to homelessness right mm -hmm. alternative to policing uh homeless populations but i hope we hope that once we see that their results can be tangible there can be other um efforts that are similar in terms of how else to respond to situations of um you know suffering or or even conflict in the community where mm -hmm we don't have to call the police and yes. again there have been many community efforts but it's a time where you need to really stop the presence of police you do need to engage the city yes yeah <laughs> um, is there anything else you'd like to share either well, about like, cart or anything else? well what i want to i guess it's um just the last thing is to really tell people that this was a very inspired inspired and inspiring uh, effort because sometimes you engage in big coalition efforts and feel like you don't get anywhere and this yes. was one place where people really we started working right away and we worked with um uh pretty quickly and 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 also with a lot of enthusiasm mm -hmm. uh very little friction and i think it's because we've all been waiting for this to happen so yeah it can, yeah so it can happen this these efforts like, um, are here to stay. <laughs> yeah, uh, and it's uh, one more question, I guess, would be um, any words for folks, perhaps in other cities, who would like to start uh, a coalition of their own or work to create this in their in their own town or city. You know, our research team did so much work 
that isn't even reflected in our report that I think they would be so happy to get a call. <laughs> oh, sure. I'm happy you know, to be able to talk say, with And say, you know, uh, hey, what else did you learn? What 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 can you share with us? Like, yeah. like what didn't make it into the report that you found really interesting? Because yeah. they, even looked, they even looked at examples in Europe, you know, that mm -hmm. um, of how, how else things are managed there. Um, where you never involve the police in many of these in these countries and in, in, in these situations, no. So, yeah. Um, so yeah. So I I think if other if there are other cities, other groups that would like to learn more, uh, I know that there is an intention precisely to put up more information on our website than may be on on the report, mm -hmm. so that they can find uh, just what they're looking for. And I'm sure just like we got help from. Um, Cahoots and from other uh, other programs, we will be very happy to give it back. Ah, excellent. Cool. <laughs> well, thank you so much. And thank you, Roman. Thank you for taking interest, and in, especially at this really key moment where we yeah. really need to launch everybody. We need everybody yeah. to <laughs> to propel this project right into in, into the the public sphere. Yes. Get, gain broad support. All right. Well, thanks again so much. Thank you. Okay. And, uh, so a big thanks again to uh, Adriana and all the folks at CART. And just going to play a quick uh, clarification about HSOC. Stands for the Healthy Streets Operating. Well, HSOC, HSOC stands for the Healthy Streets Operations Center and initiate operations um, and the public was oriented to use 311 on emergency to reach HSOC uh, after January 2018. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. Sorry, sometimes the... All right, so just some uh, clarification there. And again, we'll be posting uh, more information about CART on our website at weeklyrev.org. Okay, I'm going to take a bit of a music break here for a bit, and we'll be back with some more news items and action items that folks can take. So continue listening to uh, Hylian songs by uh, from uh, Calliope Wong, and this song is called Paper Prince A. <laughs>
Hi, and welcome back to the Weekly Review. We'll post a link to the Bandcamp page with all this music that you can uh, purchase. And also, 50% uh, of the proceeds go to the Ali Forney Center uh, for Homeless LGBT Youth and uh, Trans Lifeline, which is an emergency hotline staffed by and for trans people. Hmm. Okay. Um... Next up, I wanted to provide some action items. There's a lot of terrible things that are happening in this world, uh, putting it bluntly, I guess. Uh, just the, the rise of fascism and the increase in violence against marginalized communities. And I wanted to share um, resources and ways that folks can help. So this is a thread from Brown uh, Suga is the name, and it's at br 0 WNSGA is the Twitter handle. So again, at B-R-O-B-R-0-W-N-S-G-A. And you can also, I've shared this on Twitter as well. I'm at R-O-M-A-N-R-I-M-E-R. And this person writes, all of the anti-Asian violence in the Bay is heartbreaking and disgusting. I wanted to gather some resources and info as to ways to help those communities. And this is a thread, which is uh, by no means complete. However, it's, there's a lot of great information here that folks can help out with. Um, regardless of where you live and also what your means are. So first is a EDA Use GoFundMe used to redistribute funds amongst orgs that support Asian communities and their safety. And um, it's a GoFundMe. And again, I'll provide a link to all of these on uh, our website, weeklyrep.org. You can also sign up to accompany Asian elders while they run errands and donate supplies or community outreach. And there's a Google form, a, doc a Google Docs form, and it's called Compassion in Oakland. Volunteer sign up and credit to Jaqueen Bake, which is J A K E E N B A K E via Instagram. And so if you are in the Bay Area and are you able to help out. And also this even though this this list is focused on the Bay Area, I would imagine that folks, if you live in a different part of the country, one can also start something in your neighborhood or city uh, similar to this as well. You can also uh, recommended consider donating to the Asian Pacific Environmental Network, which is donate.apen4ej.org, um, or, and or the Oakland Vietnamese Community Center, and you can find them at oaklandvnchamber.com. And the next message and thread got a lot of this info from at edacyu and uh, Jaqueen Bake. Um, so then this person says, I'm still on the hunt for more resources, all credit to them, just trying to raise more awareness of how to help. Thread will be continued. 
There's also a GoFundMe for the family of the Thai man who was killed. Uh, 84-year-old was killed in San Francisco, and this was organized by Eric Lawson. There's a GoFundMe, and uh, uh, this person's name was uh, Visha Ratanapakti, who um, died on January 30th. And there's also a petition uh, to get mainstream news coverage of the National Elderly Asian American Assaults. And there's also GoFundMe for the rebuild of the Vietnamese American Community Center of the East Bay. It's a GoFundMe. Uh, it was organized by Joanne Garcia. So we'll be uh, sharing this as well. And yes, so this is, um, yes, we'll be sharing this already. You can also just find it on Twitter. And again, it was shared by at BR0WNSGA. Okay. Um, also, in Bay Area news, uh, there's the West Side Tenants Association in San Francisco. You can follow them on Twitter at WSTASF. And they uh, posted recently, uh, the sheriff's office is beginning to evict residents in San Francisco. We, the West Side Tenants Association, are organizing to support and defend each other against eviction. WSTA will mobilize participants of the Emergency Response Network where we will prevent landlords and police from violently removing tenants from their homes. Neighbors will be trained on how to take action safely as we defend our homes amidst the pandemic. You can bring one to two friends or neighbors in the fight to protect our homes. Join here. And they provide a link at Google Doc, um, SF Eviction Defense Emergency Response Network. So um, whether or not you can show up or share on social media, uh, volunteer, I think there's a few other options as well. I'm going to click on this. Again, just to share other options. So you can be willing to share about social media. You can be willing to call your supervisor or sheriff's office uh, if public pressure is needed. You can call or text two to three neighbors when the sheriff comes. You can bring food if there's neighborhoods who are defending their home. Show up in person, witness the sheriff carry out an eviction and help document with training as recommended. Uh, you can be willing to sign up for a two to three hour shift to defend the neighbor. Uh, potential risk of arrest uh, training is required. Uh, you can also be willing to sign up for two to three hour shifts to defend your neighbor, um, but not risk arrest. Training also recommended and or something else. Um, also, if you're able to communicate in other languages. Uh, so and then they also have trainings. So um, this is the only way to move ahead. I mean, another way is to kill landlords. However, uh, let's just say that this is another way. Um, and also just, I mean, even pre-pandemic, uh, the idea of removing people from their homes is just fucking grotesque. So I appreciate all the organizers here getting folks together. And again, uh, a, f a good reminder is that no matter where you are and what your abilities are, uh, there are ways that one that can show up and help each other. And we'll be posting this link again on weeklyrev.org when we post the today's episode page with all of those links. So wanting to share that. Whew. Okay. Um, also, I am going to share an upcoming event that's happening, I believe, tonight. And that's from the CIS Public Programs. They have a lot of great public programs. And this is Adrian Marie Brown on Pleasure Activism, February 12th. That's today. Prevailing ideas around social justice activism tend to focus on doing the work, putting in long hours, and facing challenges head on. Activism is rarely associated with personal joy and pleasure, but there can be a deep connection between activism and pleasure. Oh, it's a question, excuse me. But can there be a deep connection between activism and pleasure? How do we make social justice the most pleasurable human experience? 
how can we awaken within ourselves desires to make it impossible to settle for anything less than a fulfilling life? Author, black feminist, and social justice activist Adrienne Marie Brown has been talking, writing, and celebrating the intersection of pleasure and activism since her much-lauded 2019 book, Pleasure Activism, The Politics of Feeling Good. Pleasure Activism is a politics of healing and happiness that explodes the dour myth that changing the world is just another form of work. Drawing on the black feminist tradition, she challenges us to rethink the ground rules of activism. Through connecting with our inner desires and needs, physical, mental, emotional, we can become better organizers, activists, and social justice workers. Join Sonia Shaw, CIIS professor and restorative justice expert, and Adrian uh, for a powerful and joyful conversation exploring how to tap into the full spectrum of our sensual desires and emotional needs while organizing for justice. Whether you're a seasoned activist or new to supporting social justice movements, Adrian invites you to embrace the idea that activism can feel good. And they have a, a link where you can register. I'm clicking on that right now. I'll also share this on our webpage. And again, this is from the California Institute of Integral Studies. And they have a lot of public programs that are awesome. And they used to be in person, and now they're online, which is the, the benefit is that one can access that anywhere as long as you have internet. So it's starting at 6 p.m. Pacific time tonight. Uh, it's $25 suggested donation, and I, I don't believe that uh, anyone's turned away. So again, that's happening tonight at 6 p.m., and I do believe they also tend to save these talks afterwards. So hopefully, uh, if you are l listening to this in the future, um, you can uh, check it out again, or check it out when it happens, because it hasn't happened yet in this dimension anyway. Okay. So I'm going to take another bit of a music break, uh, get some more stories for you. Thanks again so much for tuning in. You're listening to Mutiny Radio. There are shows here every day of the week, and if you're interested in doing a show here of your own, please do it. We need more voices out there. Go to mutinyradio.fm, get in contact with Pam about training, and you can have a show here of your own. Get two hours a week to do whatever you want, which is pretty fucking rad, and uh, support small businesses, art, local business art. Have your have your voice out there. And... Uh, it's, it's important that everyone has a chance to tell their stories. Okay. Here's some more music, and we will be back in a bit. So please do stay tuned.
Cage face beat. Did a lot of hiring songs. And next up, we got some news about Amazon Boo. And this is a little over like four and a half minute video that was shared by More Perfect Union. You can follow them on Twitter at More Perfect US. And the uh, caption here is Jeff Bezos Boo says he's proud of working conditions at Amazon. Workers say they're, they are surveilled treated like robots and forced to work in a grueling and unsafe environment. Now these warehouse workers in Alabama are organizing to demand change. This video came out on February 10th. If I had the opportunity to talk to Jeff Bezos face to face, I would really want to ask him, have he ever worked in a warehouse before? Have he sweated for 10 to 12 hours a day and not being able to go to the restroom when he needed to go. And the issue of, um, of working conditions, I'm very proud of our working conditions. They got cameras, they watching us all the time. It's a lot of walking, it's a lot of fast pace, it's a lot of climbing upstairs. It's just a lot for the human body. It's tiring, it's consistent, it's, it's, it's fast speed. It's unsafe because you consistently working fast pace 10 hours, only, only two breaks. They're getting treated like robots, and, and it's not fair because even robots break down sometimes. I have issues when ladies are talking about TOT time. 
uh, time off task when they have to go use the restroom. When they saying that the restroom could be on the other side of the building, that they have to take their walk so far and they're timing them. And when they run out of time, people are calling me emotionally like, Michael, I'm on last chance. They said it's extremely hot in there. They said they have had people to pass out because of the extreme hotness in there. Who get docked I get TOT time for going to the bathroom. Who get docked for going to, get, going, to, going to get water if you need water if you have to leave off your station? Come on now. I work on the line, I work in decant, and I actually um, open packages and <clears throat> store them in the bin, but it's a lot of standing all day. And my day-to-day -day there is working so many hours without having the breaks uh, that we need, it's, it's really strenuous on the body. I've been to the doctor several times with issues with my own body, with my legs. It's unsafe because you consistently working fast-paced 10 hours, only, only two breaks. Amazon will change their schedule in the middle of the night while they're sleeping. They don't even know their schedule's been changed. They wake up thinking that they got an off day and they supposed to be at work at seven o'clock in the morning. And it's gonna interrupt Kareem's uh, caption on this video. Uh, in 2019, Amazon recorded 14,000 serious injuries, 7.7 .7 serious injuries per 100,000. We've been having confirmed cases every week. It's unsafe to me because we don't know who have it. We don't know who we've been around who have it. I have people with issues about COVID-19. They haven't received a COVID pay. They've been on for weeks. Some people are back to work and still haven't received COVID pay. Man, this is heartbreaking. A lot of people need their money. They, they don't have a way to pay their bills and they're looking for a pay that's supposed to come to them but haven't received it yet. Amazon briefly instituted extra pay for workhouse workers during the pandemic, but rescinded it in June. They're owned by the richest man in the world, so we know the issue cannot be that he doesn't have the money. <laughs> I feel like every employee, as well as myself, deserve more due to what we do. And, and I feel like it's, it's, it's not fair. Amazon says that they're there for their employees. To us, they hear our voices, but they're not responding to our voices. And we have very good communications with our employees. So we don't believe that we need a union to be an intermediary between us and our employees. So now with us bringing in the union, we feel better that we have somebody that will sit down and talk to him about the working conditions that we're having and the dignity and respect that we're looking for. We need the union out of Amazon to make things better, fair. We need job security, better wages. But a union represent you when you don't have the voice to represent yourself. All right, and my thoughts on Jeff Bezos are similar to my thoughts about the this uh, landlord I mentioned earlier, not a specific landlord, but um, living in a world where Jeff Bezos is continues to hoard wealth and treat his employees 
horrifically around the world is not a world that I want to live in. And it's really hard for me not to voice my uh, <laughs> desires about what to do with Jeff Bezos. I think we can all imagine, but perhaps collectively, it's unlikely he will change his mind and donate his billions of dollars and make uh, Amazon a worker-owned company, which would be awesome. I'll put that ener energy out there anyway. Um, and in the meantime, one can certainly support all the workers there uh, to be able to live with dignity and have all of their needs met. And uh, may uh, Jeff Bezos pay for his crimes. And however that turns out, I'll put that into the universe too because fuck him and fuck all the billionaires out there. Ah, what a lovely show. Just putting it out there because it's uh, when people are hoarding wealth, it's fucking disgusting. Okay. Next up. Ooh, this is a sad story. Might wait a little bit to get to that one. <laughs> Try not to, uh, uh, you know, sometimes uh, the segues aren't as smooth as one would like them to be. And, oh, yes, I know what I was going to say. And this is going to another an upcoming event, which is on February 20th. It all, it, it's uh, together. So you can say, hey, I want to support the, these workers who are looking to unionize in Alabama. And there's something that you can do. Uh, February 20th, which is next in eight days, National Day of Solidarity with Alabama Amazon workers, including the Amazon Union. And that's, again, Saturday, February 20th, from noon to 1 p.m. It is a protest. The organizer is Southern Workers Assembly. And location details, all Amazon and Whole Foods stores in the U.S. And I, I, I do have to say, I'm very proud of myself. I've been – that's so stupid. That sounds so stupid. Anyway, well, no, uh, I've been uh, boycotting uh, Whole Foods for a long time now. And it's – you know, they're ubiquitous, and food is something – is a necessity. So it's kind of tricky. However – um, there are so many reasons to boycott Whole Foods, and uh, that's one thing. It's like, okay, it's been a rough few years. However, I believe one can do it. Fuck Whole Foods. Okay, so February 20th, National Day of Solidarity with Alabama, Amazon workers building the Amazon Union, Southern Workers' Assembly protest. Okay, okay, so da-da-da, this came out on February 9th. February 20th, let's get to the details here. National Day of Solidarity with Alabama, Amazon workers building be Amazon Union with Retail, Wholesale, and Department Store Union, RWDSU. Find an action near you at southernworker.org forward slash Amazon. You can email info at uh, southernworker.org to list one. Now is the time to mobilize solidarity with this heroic struggle. Hashtag union yes. Hashtag organize the South. February 20th, National Day of Solidarity with Alabama Amazon Workers. And I'll include this image on our webpage as well with more information. So again, uh, February 20th, let's do it. Cool. All right, I'm going to take a bit of a music break once more, get together some more info, and we'll be back. This next song is called Flower Gray. Hey.
and flower gray B. Okay. Next up is a thread on Twitter by Maxi Adler. You can find them at uh, at at Maxi underscore Adler. And let's go back here. Many of you have asked. How is all of this destruction happening for the border wall when we have laws protecting these places? Well, because of the dictatorial power granted by a small section of the Real ID Act at DHSGov has waived over 80 laws on the border. And there's a quote tweet for the Real ID Act of 2005. By waiving every relevant law that protects the environment, culture, archaeology, people, and species of the border, DHSGov has willfully destroyed sacred sites, bulldozed saguaros, militarized public lands, and severed critical habitat for endangered species with impunity. Among the list of waived laws, the American Indian Religious Freedom Act, National Environmental Policy Act, Endangered Species Act, Native American Graves Protection and Repatriation Act, Clean Air Act, Clean Water Act, Archaeological and Historical Preservation Act, and 77 more. Holy crap. If these laws were allowed to do what they were created to do, what previous generations intended them to do, protect us, there isn't a chance this massive, murderous, $15 billion taxpayer-funded public project would have ever, ever, ever happened. Period. And if you're ever curious why indigenous tribes and communities on the border are so upset, why we have to fight this hard and this tirelessly, it's because the people of the border do not have the same rights, laws, and protections granted to the rest of the nation. <sighs> so thank you to uh, Maxi Adler for uh, sharing this, and we'll also provide a link to this uh, thread on our page, weeklyrev.org. And I'm also going to share the uh, uh, video that's on Maxi Adler's page as well. And the top of it is uh, that uh, Maxi says, I spent so much of this year weaving together forgotten dreams of migrants pushed into remote deserts by deadly U.S. border policies. Last week, I installed my piece on the border wall to honor the thousands of lives stolen. We'll never forget you. We'll never stop fighting for you. I'm in the Chihuahuan Desert, just west of El Paso, and I've just hung on the border wall. The piece that I've been weaving the last year and a half with um, clothing and objects and fabric that's been uh, left behind in the desert um, from people trying to cross. It's structures like these, like the one behind me, that have pushed thousands of people to their deaths. Uh, over 8,000 bodies have been found in the borderlands. In these beautiful deserts. And we haven't done a single thing to collectively mourn that, to grieve that fact. Uh, to process the loss that the borderlands has seen, the loss of human life, the loss of species, 
loss of families, the loss of childhood. And I started this project because I didn't even know how to process any of that. I didn't know what to do. And I just thought I could spend some time using what was left behind to help start weaving some compassion into this place. Again, that was Maxie Adler, and we'll share a link to the video on our page.
most beautiful music. And uh, that got a book sale. Yeah. To listen to it and to share it with all of you. And we'll be playing some more uh, during the rest of the program. Getting to share a few more news items. Uh, this is from uh, Ben the Ark Jewish Action. You can follow them at Jewish Action. Mark your calendar for We Rise, building an anti-racist Jewish community presented by Kahila Community Synagogue. Here from at uh, Yavila, uh, which is uh, the Twitter handle is at Y-A-V-I-L-A-H, and Black, Indigenous, and POC leaders about how to create Jewish communities that center JOC and dismantle white supremacy. And there is a an image as well. We will also post a link to this information on our website again, February 21st at 4 p.m. Pacific time. And it'll be a web event. And also a story I wanted to share last week and did not quite get to. Um, this is a for anyone uh, needing or wanting info on the general strike in Haiti. And here in the U.S., we focus a lot on the U.S. and not much elsewhere. When it is elsewhere, it's often Europe. And um, so this is from uh, at Communist Hug, which is perhaps the cutest handle I've ever heard of. Uh, follow them on Twitter. And this was shared on February 3rd. So it's a little bit. So this is from a few days ago, weeks ago, days ago, nine days ago. And uh, I wanted to share that with you all here. It's about 49 seconds. Haiti labor unions and social movements launched the general strike this Monday against the ongoing insecurity in the country while demanding the resignation of President Jovenel Moise. Groups of workers started the strike action with various street mobilizations in Port-au-Prince to reject the high levels of violence affecting the population. Unions have denounced that the policies implemented by the government of Moise directly affects the salaries. While rejecting the constitutional reform, the government is pushing, stressing that it does not benefit workers. Meanwhile, social and political movements opposed to the current government also joined the strike action, rejecting the reform of the constitution, which they denounced was a move solely aimed at securing Moise's continuity in power. Okay, so that's a video here from Telesaur. And I believe there was uh, another video that was shared earlier uh, today. And so I'll click on the link for that and get that up. There are some more. Uh, so this is um, about a minute, 42 seconds, shared by Madame Bouquin, Justice for Haiti. And you can follow this person um, at M-A-D-A-N-B-O-U-K-M-A-N. Shared 17 hours ago, protesters in Gonaive, uh, Haiti, many of them armed, demanding the U.S. U.N. OAS puppet dictator transfer power uh, to the new interim president, Joseph Messen Jean-Louis. And this person says that, that uh, we can, they can confirm 1,000% Haitians will not give up. And the quote, if they shoot us, we will shoot back. So here's some audio from this video. <laughs> No, God, no, 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 no,
<sighs> so it's about one, almost one thirty. So I'm just gonna play some music for the rest of the show. Got to a lot of information, and I'll also be sharing a uh, post on our website about Rose Wong, whose music we've been listening to, and it's on another page. Uh, the first album was from Bandcamp, and there's some more music on SoundCloud that I'll be sharing. And some more about Rose is that she wa- she took on Smith College because Smith rejected her undergraduate application due to her trans status. And she also was planning to become a, a endocrinologist and studying uh, medicine and at Stanford. And just... gonna play some more of her music and know that everything that she's done uh, lives on.
Nuclear launch detected. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll be back next week. For more information, please go to weeklyrev.org.